Welcome to episode 297 of Destination Linux, a video podcast show from the Tux Digital Network. If you're new to the show, Destination Linux is a discussion podcast perfect for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael. I'm Jill. And I'm Ryan. And on this week's episode, we have an awesome interview for you. We have interviewed Key from the Session Messaging app, and it was fantastic. We, you, you, you're going to love this. So also, in addition to that, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. This week's community feedback comes from our discourse forums this week. So if you want to send in your own feedback, you have two choices. You can contact us at tuxdigital.com contact and fill out the form there. Or you can join the Tux Digital community forum by going to tuxdigital.com and clicking on the forum link at the top of the page. Eastbeeb. Is that Eastbeeb? I probably mispronounced <laughs> it, but we'll just go Aww. with Eastbeeb. Eastbeeb writes and says, which distro would Darth Vader use? This is an important <laughs> question. Sure it is. Uh, they go on to say, at first I thought Arch, but then I thought, no, Vader isn't a super geek wanting to fuss over the nuts and bolts. He needs something bad, as in aggressive and tough, but at the same time, fast and easy to use, just like holding up your hand when laser bolts zap the palm of your hand. There, easy. No time to mess around when you've got an evil empire to run. I think he would run MX Linux with XFC in my honest opinion, while Compiz Compton turned on, or with Compiz Compton turned on, for that semi-transparent effect, just like his tinted red helmet eye holes. For your answer to be taken seriously, you must provide convincing rationale. This <laughs> yes, I'm glad that you have <laughs> a spe this. specific thing about make sure to take it seriously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is why I love our community so much. Uh, yeah. And, you know, questions like these are on parallel with questions like cupcake versus muffin, stool versus chair. The tough questions we answer the, on the Destination Linux. <laughs> now, I want to get into this because I need to give my opinion on this very important matter as a member of the Linux community. And obviously, Darth Vader being one of the most powerful users in the galaxy far, far away, he uses Arch. It flows with his, by the way, I'm your father, Luke Line. Which is yeah. absolutely I think, I don't in think it's the exactly show. That, but yeah. Close enough. By the way, I'm your father, Luke. He's like, I by think. the way, I'm your father. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's it's it doesn't it doesn't grab you your attention. He's like, hey, you know what? By the way, I'm just I'm your father. <laughs> well, in the new version, you know, since Jill, you're a film expert, you know about this. And in the in the actual re-edited version, he says, "By the way, Luke, I run Arch," and <laughs> that's yes. the new edited version. You have to. <laughs> To look at. Now, I'm just kidding. It's not Arch. The truth is Vader would be using Debian Sid because Sid is close to Sith, if you think about it there. <laughs> yeah, and sure. He, and sure. the most important reason why he used Debian is he never updated the plants to the Death Star to mitigate a various, very obvious security hole in the Death Star plans. And we know Debian takes a really long time to get updates. And so that was the distro. Very good rationale, Ryan. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> but I must say, it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, Darth Vader is very, very sneaky. But I do think he is running Slackware, which is even slower at being updated than Debian's. 
That's true. That is true. And what, what? most important, one of the most important facts is that he is using the rat poison X window manager to confuse his enemies, but it also confuses the stormtroopers too. So, is that why <laughs> they can't the aim? Problem. That's why they can't yes. aim. They don't have a mouse to aim. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That makes sense now. That's He's pretty good. To move his mouse. So. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone needs to go to our uh, forum and weigh in on this. Which distro you think Darth Vader used? Michael, we didn't hear from you. Which distro <laughs> do you think Darth Vader uses? Do you have some rationale for it? This well, is important. I, th I think that the the, the, the the ones you gave were really good. I think the Slackware is kind of interesting because it runs so slow. Then I was thinking, like, why would this... Like, he... He runs. He doesn't actually run. He's very slow. He walks. If you notice, he never actually has any kind of fast-paced movement. And I'm, th I'm thinking, like, mm -hmm. that's because he has the force. He doesn't need to be close to you. So a slow, pa a slow pace makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, Slackware could be it. Also, I think that he wants to put a lot of hurt on his uh, enemies. So if they were to grab his computer, he would either have uh, Gentoo or Linux from scratch. Just yeah. so that they when they experienced it, it'd be like, oh no, what's what is this? <laughs> Linux from scratch. Yeah, that, that, would that be is so funny because as you were talking about it, Michael, I was thinking about Linux <laughs> from scratch. I think that's yeah. perfect. <laughs> Gentoo. It takes so long to compile the package exactly. they need. Exactly. Yeah, and and Ben in chat actually said uh, Gentoo. <laughs> that could work. That could work. Well, yeah. this is why I love our community. They asked the important. <laughs> questions out there the so make sure you questions. head to our forums and weigh in on this topic and maybe we'll include some of your comments in a future episode and this episode of destination linux is brought to you by digital ocean get started right now by going to do.co tux 2022 cloud computing can be let's say complex but standing up reliable affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be thanks to digital ocean you can get set up and run on their awesome cloud platform quickly and easily. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands that is also using the force because that's how they make their platform so easy. And they also make it where you don't have to worry about the things that are the infrastructure stuff. You only have to worry about things that matter most to you, such as building the apps that grow your business. And DigitalOcean offers predictable pricing, robust product documentation, and services that developers love. For example, I love the DigitalOcean Marketplace because you can find all sorts of great software that you can easily set up as droplets with just a few clicks. It's awesome. Plus, DigitalOcean can get you set with support for every stage of growth. Where you have one stormtrooper, or you have a thousand stormtroopers. With DigitalOcean, you can get growing with their simple, powerful cloud computing. As, and as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because when you go to do.co slash tux2022 to sign up, you get a 60-day, $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome platform. So go to do.co slash tux2022, do.co slash tux. 2022. So again, go get that awesome 60-day free credit on DigitalOcean's fantastic platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. You know what? DigitalOcean with that $100 credit is really force choking the competition. And the other thing that's really important to note is that this interview you're about to listen to, we were actually able to do some really cool things with DigitalOcean and Session and matter of minutes here. So DigitalOcean is definitely, you want to make sure you write down that do.co slash tux2022 because you're going to want, as soon as you finish this interview, to go set up 
session groups for yourself. So we would like to welcome Key Jeffries to our show today. Key is the CTO of Session, the encrypted messenger app that helps you preserve your privacy and your freedom. Key, welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you on with us today. Yeah, hey guys, uh, really nice to be here. Um, happy to entertain some questions and, and uh, hear some feedback as well. We got lots of questions for you and we have the secret lightning round, which I haven't told you about that's coming <laughs> up where you got to answer questions as fast as you can. But before we get into things, no I want pressure. to know no. a little bit about you. Um, so before we jump into talking about sessions specifically, tell us what initially got you interested in open source and privacy. Yeah, so I think um, I was doing a computer science course um, right after I graduated high school. And I think I got very interested at that point um, in encryption. We had this unit um, that we were doing that was based on kind of, I think the unit was called like asymmet asymmetric encryption or something like that. And we learned about public and private key cryptography. And I remember that being a super interesting like way to kind of get into the space and then researching from like asymmetric cryptography into like how that can be applied in the real world you see like just how it is applied like in every browser connection that you make you're you know using public key cryptography but also like we started to see like at that time i guess this was maybe 2016 or something like that. Um, the cryptocurrency systems started coming out as well, which was super interesting because they were like this application of public key cryptography in a decentralized um, sense. So we started get, getting really interesting, interested in how you could kind of take like asymmetric encryption and then apply that in a decentralized context to start building networks. And I, at that time, was going to meetups, um, like blockchain meetups all around um, Melbourne and started talking to a bunch of other people who were interested in building like uh, privacy enhancing technologies. Um, so we started a little company and spent a couple of years building up this network and then launched Session on top of it, which now has lots of users. So I guess that's yes. kind of the, the shortened version of how everything went, but that happened over about five years. So. What, what was it about that class? Because there's so many people we're still trying to, because I do a lot of videos on privacy and security and things. There's still a lot of people out there trying to convince how important this type of stuff is. What was it about that class or that environment that you were in that made you really interested in that enough to want to go exploring it further, where so many other people just seem to be like, well, Facebook's got everything. I guess it just it is what it is type of thing. I think I kind of had a mind a mind uh, blown moment in that class because like the premise I think of one of the classes that we had in that unit was that you could have an insecure channel where everyone was able to listen to the channel, but you could still come up with a secure method of communicating over that insecure channel, which I guess I just didn't believe was possible. Like it's like, Think about if like someone was intercepting all of your mail, right? Like you think yes. that they would be able to read like whatever you have in the conversation. And we had like developed like primitive like cipher techniques in like the 1900s and 1800s and stuff like Jefferson discs and stuff, but they weren't very like robust, you know, like they were prone to like crypto analysis techniques and stuff like that. But the idea that you could have like this unbreakable like crypto analysis system for like many, many years, you know, like 20, 30 years, like still RSA hasn't been kind of um, factored, like depending on your the key sizes that you're using. Um, 
like and that was a that was a um, crypto system developed in the 1970s i think like so you can have these like crypto systems which last for 50 years like yeah. where you're communicating over a public channel where no one can know what you're communicating i guess like having that moment in that class was kind of like wow this tech this technology is really amazing and also like having that decentralized background as well like going into the tor network and seeing how that worked and how that was built like putting all of these things together i think is a really interesting like can create a really interesting use case for the internet so i guess it was like a combination of all of those things happening at once it's so fascinating when you look mm -hmm. at things like tor and what it means for countries that are going through war or government uprising and those things. Because I see the messages, if you follow Tor, talking about getting more servers up for certain areas to help protect this. It, the, the privacy is not just an aspect of, hey, I don't want you know Google reading my email or anything. It could be life-saving, life-changing technology for people as well. Uh, so I'm so happy you mentioned Tor because it's just such an important part of the, our history. It still is to this day. And it was created by the government originally, as I understand elements of it. So it's just, it's fascinating. The whole history of cryptography is just awesome. I'm so glad though, that your college got it to stick with you because they got you to create session Absolutely. Uh, with us. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. Even, even on that point, like the, the tall point, like starting to see your application have real world use. Like this is something that's starting to happen with session. Like over the last 10 days, I think we've onboarded around 250,000 Iranian users. So like Not we're starting to get massive influx in these countries where there's huge like government protests and stuff and they're looking for messaging services that um, aren't being censored or that they actually have access to as well. So we're starting to see like that real application of, of session as well, um, which is really kind of heartwarming, you know, because you've spent a lot of time building yeah. this technology and seeing people onboard onto it's really cool. Yeah, oh. you're changing people's lives. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really amazing. So, Key, how did the interest in open source translate into you eventually getting involved with Session as the CTO? Yeah, so we founded the company together. So I've been the CTO from from uh, day one. It was three um, other guys that I met at uh, one of these awesome. meetups, and we started it together. But I guess on the open source nature of things, it's almost, I, I mean, I think it's almost a necessity if you're building a messenger or like a private or secure messenger. Like I really don't like that there are apps out there like WhatsApp that exist that claim that they're encrypted, but they're closed source. So no one can actually verify whether they're end-to-end -end encrypted. Like the best we can kind of do is like decompile like an APK or something and see that they're like hopefully implementing like what we think they're implementing. But if they obfuscate like their source code, there wouldn't even be the ability to like do that in the application itself. So I think when you're dealing with technology that's claiming that it's encrypted or claiming that it's private, it really needs to be open source as well. You know, this is something that we've seen actually get a lot of attention with certain apps that claim that they have this end-to-end -end encryption. They just use that as a buzzword. And then people find out later that in fact, it's not end-to-end -end encrypted and that it's not secure at all. And I think that's a really important point that you made about being open source because that allows people to actually go audit these claims. And it also allows a lot of security people to get involved to help you patch and fix these things. So you almost always have that third party auditor that's going on in there looking over your code, making sure that there's no loopholes and things there. 
which just adds this additional layer of security you're never going to get in a completely private instance, along with the trust, the trust piece of it, because people trust Session because of the fact that it's open source. If it wasn't, I don't think it would have gained the traction that it had for sure. Yeah, I, I don't think, unless you're focusing purely like on usability, it's very hard to make closed source, like end-to-end -end encrypted messaging applications work like even if you were to look at the landscape like right now i mean the two biggest messengers are probably closed source but then everything after that is pretty much open source like telegrams open source signals open source uh, matrix riot element all of that um, stuff is open source like xmpp they're all open source so i mean i think it's a necessity and also i mean i think it's cool as well like open source technology i think it's really advanced us like in terms of what we can do on our computers these days by like you know many years just the fact that i can pull in components from other open source projects immediately into my project without having to worry about uh like you know do i have to pay like some sort of licensing fee to use this software i think is like amazing it's it's created like I mean, actually, Session is the perfect example, right? Because we started from Signal. We're a fork of Signal. So we took the code, the existing code that they had, which we thought was really cool. We forked that, and then we applied it to, like, we made our own changes to it, right? Like, and yeah. half of, like, probably half of the software that's on our GitHub repository right now is forked from other projects. So, you know, it's likely that we'd be, like, you know, a year behind right now or two years behind if we had to write all of that software ourselves. Yeah, Love it. that's a great point. And uh, you kind of already touched on it just now, but for those in our audience who may not have heard of Session, we've talked about it on our previous episodes, but we have lots of news listeners every week. So tell us about Session and what kind of benefits users can get from using it over other tools out there. Yeah, so Session is uh, essentially a messenger. Um, it's like other messaging clients, like you know WhatsApp or Telegram or Signal. It's open source, uh, but the three kind of biggest selling points that we always talk about is that it doesn't require a phone number to register. It doesn't actually require any um, identifying information to register. So no email address, no phone number, no personal information required. Um, it onion routes all of your messages. Um, mm -hmm. So you know we talked a bit about Tor earlier, which is kind of a generalized onion routing system for internet browsing. Um, but Session actually has its own onion router inside of Session, which means that when you send a message, you're not exposing your IP address to any of the decentralized network that we have. That's very and that's a good segue into the final point, which is instead of having a single central server or uh, like, you know, um, like Signal or WhatsApp, where they have a server where you send your messages, um, session is actually a decentralized network of 1600 nodes, which are formed into these kind of subgroups called swarms, which manage your messages. So yeah, decentralized, no phone number, um, and it's end-to-end -end encrypted as well. So y'all checking was... all the boxes. Out yeah, there on that, absolutely. Right? I've been so happy, uh, is not tied to your phone number. Uh, but instead a session ID, which is really wonderful because then you can easily make multiple accounts on other devices, which I do. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, we're hoping to kind of, next year, I think we're hoping to kind of expand that functionality as well so that you can have multiple accounts within a session, like within a single session client. Oh, so you oh, can cool. have like your work session ID, you can have like your home session ID, you can have like a private one. I think it's kind of this idea of like managing multiple identities and limiting how you want to associate with the world. Like, 
Awesome. You can't really do that with a phone number because it's connected to your business or it's connected to like a hundred different other service services. And as soon as you link against your phone number, you link against all of those identities. Whereas with Session, if you want a new identity to only use in this community, for example, you can just generate that and go ahead. Yeah, that's fantastic. Every time I find a new application that I'm a big fan of, that's one of the things I always want to look at is having like multi-account support because there are many cases that I'd want to switch different accounts. And that is a fantastic example of wanting to switch because of what use case you're using it with for who you're talking to, whether it's work or home or whatever. I think that'd be awesome. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But I also want to point out that I agree with what Jill said about the phone number. That's one of the biggest reasons I was so excited to find Session because yep. looking at all the other options, they all had something that was you know, kind of missing here or there. And Session is a solid application all the way around. But that part about not having to be a, a, attached to your phone number. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird. I mean, like phone numbers were not designed for this use case, like to be this kind of global identifier on the internet. Yeah. They kind yeah. of have become that. And you start seeing why they weren't designed like that way, because like SIM swapping attacks, for example, like are very easy right. to execute against people. And then you get access to everything, basically, especially mm -hmm. if they have the two-factor authentication tied to their mobile phone number, which you shouldn't do, but a lot of people do do. Uh, as soon as you get access to someone's SIM, then you're like, you have access to all of their identity, basically. Like, Yeah. yeah. So many reasons why people should use the phone number for that. Yeah. So let's talk about Session versus Signal, because I know there's going to be part of our audience that are already Session users, some who are Signal users, some who are now listening to this and maybe want to switch, especially after that phone number discussion that we just had. When we talk about the critical differences between these two services, obviously there's the phone number situation, but what else do you think is a big key difference between somebody who uses Signal today and why they may want to switch to Session? Yeah, so I think probably in order of like differences, the, the biggest thing is probably phone numbers for most people. The second biggest, I would say, it's usually a toss up between who you talk to on the street, whether they care more about decentralization or metadata security. But the second one that I usually talk about is onion routing. So as I said mm -hmm. before, like um, Signal, um, you know, although they're a very um, cool privacy company and they're developing really cool technology, they still do have servers that they control um, that when you interact with Signal or you send some a message to some other Signal user, your IP address directly interacts with the Signal server. So they say that they don't keep logs, but just the fact that they do have the ability to see your IP address when you send a message to a Signal server means that they have the IP address that was associated with the message, the time at which you sent the message, and also on the other side, the recipient who receives your message, they will have their IP address and the time at which they pulled down that message too. So you can start building a really rich image of who someone is based on the metadata that Signal has access to. Um, they may not necessarily be using it in this way, and I don't believe that they are. They're pretty privacy conscious people, but the fact that they could um, have access to this information, it's almost like a, an argument in itself, right? Like, you know, all yep. of these VPN companies tell us to trust them with our IP address, but um, just the fact that they do have access to our IP address is a concerning factor. Um, so I would say the differentiation with Session is that we onion route your messages 
So you're not actually exposing your IP address to the decentralized network of nodes at any time, except for in your guard node, the first hop that you have. And that's the same as in mm -hmm. Tor. Um, so, but when a storage server receives your message, it doesn't know who it came from. It just looks like it came from um, another um, service node on the network. So that aspect of onion routing where we hide your IP address, I think is a very strong um, metadata resistant aspect and um, can be really important for some people. The other thing is that, um, as I was talking about before with Signal having centralized servers, we don't actually have a single or a group of centralized servers which we operate. We have a network of 1,600 decentralized nodes, um, which are run all around the world by hundreds of different operators. Um, and we actually use that for message storage, message relay, onion routing, all of those aspects. So it's harder to compel the shutdown of those services in a particular jurisdiction. And it's really important for us because technically, you know, the company, you know, where I am is in Australia and Australia has very poor um, data protection and privacy right. um, standards. But for us, it doesn't really matter because we don't store any of the data here. We can't really be compelled to do anything because we don't deal, we don't have any data on our servers, right? Like the servers that run um, the system are run by independent operators all around the world and anyone can become an operator at any time. So um, on the censorship resistance, I think that's a really important part. And also to consider like where the data is actually stored um, jurisdiction wise, yeah. I think that's an important mm -hmm. aspect. So there's one other question that comes up a lot with privacy apps, and that is follow the money trail. In fact, on my channel, when I talk about privacy a lot, I'm always telling people follow the money trail because that can reveal a lot about a company's true intentions, what they do with your data, how they're making money, those type of things. How does Session fund all of this work that you're doing? Yeah, so we're registered as a non-for-profit uh, foundation in Australia. Um, so if you look up optf.ngo that's our website for the non-for-profit so we're not a profit seeking organization we're just trying to keep the network running as like a, a neutral service so yeah we don't we're not trying to um, generate profits a similar structure to like say signal where there are 501c registered in the us so yeah we're not trying to make make money Key, what kind of cto is it <laughs> over money I imagine your desk is just stacks of cash. I mean, that's what CTOs do, right? No. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I love that. And you guys have independent um, funding from anybody can go and help fund session if they want to get involved or help. Yeah. So we take donations um, through the foundation. So you can donate if you want to. Um, we've also, I mean, early on in the project, we did receive some money from uh, venture capitalists. Like I do want to disclose that, but they don't really have much interest in like they have, they've never really talked to us like beyond the initial funding. So, yeah. um, that, yeah, it, it was, it was a pretty simple, um, process and yeah, we've run everything pretty independently so far. And the, all of the money sits in the foundation as well. So, and they're constitutionally bound to spend the money on advancing, uh, you know, digital privacy rights. And you can read the constitution and stuff and see what we have to do legally with that money. Um, so yeah. Nice. Yeah, so Session actually has a wonderful groups feature that we've been, me and Michael and Ryan, have been uh, playing with and testing internally. How do you see groups evolving in the coming years? Do you see it as an alternative to things like Telegram or Discord? 
Yeah, so there's kind of two aspects to groups in session. There's what we call closed groups, which are, they actually run on top of the uh, decentralized architecture that I was talking about. And they're limited to 100 users in the group. Um, and they're also end-to-end -end mm. encrypted. Um, so you get end-to-end -end encryption there. Then we have what are called open groups, which are, you know, they can scale up. I mean, the biggest open group we have right now is uh, 14,000 people, I think, um, in it. Wow. So they can scale kind of wow. up to, you know, infinity, depending on what your server, like, you know, what your server has. And they can run pretty efficiently on small servers as well. Um, the idea of an open group is uh, kind of that, you know, if you're in a group with, you know, two or 3,000 people, the requirements that you need on end-to-end -end encryption are not the same as what you have uh, in a group with 100 people, right? Because if anyone mm -hmm. can join the group and read the message logs, your end-to-end -end encryption really isn't important. What you want there is, like, you actually just want transport encryption to the server so that no, no one who's sniffing the connection can see what's going on. But, yeah, as I said, like, you only need one person compromised in a 3,000 member group to leak all of the messages and then the, the, the system's done and anyone can join it with the URL anyway. So, I mean, where do we see it going in the future? I think we're going to be, we're actually going to be changing. This is a little bit of a leak on new information that will be coming yes. out. So get it first. Exclusive. Um, <laughs> we're going to be changing the names um, of closed groups. So closed groups will just become groups and then open groups are going to become communities. Um, I love it. <laughs> yeah, which we think is a bit of a better branding for what they actually are, the open groups. They're kind of like large communities where anyone can join in and participate. So the way it currently works with an open group is you just need one server and then you can have like hundreds of different rooms in that server, which people join up to. It's like similar to channels in Telegram. Um, and we think we're going to expand that functionality. Administrative functionality is really important for managing groups of that size. You're telling us we uh, had some fun with administration not too long ago. So yeah, that's a really important with a, piece. Uh, but a competitor of yours, theoretically, that we, we probably shouldn't mention it was a matrix. And, uh, <laughs> and but this is really cool. I think that that like you mentioned about like the size of the server. But I think we should go into a little bit more about in depth about how the servers are set up, and um, they're all self-hosted type of servers. I'm pretty sure. And how does that work exactly? So uh, specifically talking about the open group side or the decentralized right. network side, the open group style, yeah. And and also like how does the these decentralized work? I mean, obviously these are different servers for they can host themselves, yeah. But also they're still connected with their regular session ID. So I think that's kind of like a best of both worlds approach. Like, how do you uh, address that in the, you know, in the structure? Yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting because like these, the open group servers kind of exist separately from the decentralized kind of network of 1600 nodes. I think we realized pretty early on that like if someone wants to have a really big channel on session, that like that's going to take a significant amount of resources away from the decentralized network. So if we can put that, um, the hosting of that really large channel on the actual like user who's hosting that channel, that's going to be a lot better for the health of the network. So um, essentially like you can go to, I mean, I think there's a GitHub link. Uh, if you just look up PySogs or something, that's the software that you use. Um, it's all open source. You download it, you install it on, uh, on a VPS. Usually that's what most people do. You can install it on your home computer though. So if you want as well. Um, and then it's got a pretty kind of unique um, feature where 
because we're doing the encryption, the end-to-end -end, or the transport layer encryption out of band, you can actually just run it with a raw IP. So it's super easy to set up. You just get your IP address, um, you know, install. I think it's just like a you add a, a Debian repository and like sudo apt get like a package, and then it's basically set up. Um, you add a few administrators to the room um, so that you have moderation capability, and it's and it's done. Uh, and then everything else can be kind of handled within inside of the session clients. Like you join up on the session clients, you can add moderators and stuff there. Um, so, I mean, we, we really want to expand this functionality. Like um, Matrix has really complicated like administrative functions, which I mean, can go wrong, um, which is what you're talking about, but they are like very cool as well. Um, and they have all of this bots. They have bot systems as well, which allow developers to you know, put their own solutions as to how they want to ma like manage the chat. So like when someone comes in, they have to do some verification or, you know, they have to right. send a message. We're not up to that stage um, yet, but we're getting close um, to that stage now where we can kind of like whisper individually to people. And I, But I think what you said before, everything uses your session ID in session. So you don't need to like generate a new like identity for your open groups you just jump in with your session id and then um, we just added a feature recently so that you can kind of directly dm people um, from open groups as well so it's kind of like this ecosystem built around your session id nice yeah i i think that the biggest selling case for how easy it is to set up a server is i did it um, and not only is that a selling case in itself, <laughs> Such a but good I, selling point. Yep. <laughs> I, I did it so fast that the person I was working with, I was telling you earlier, key is a privacy and security expert professional, and they were going to help me with the server. And they're like, all right, you ready? And I'm like, I'm already done. It's already set up. Like it was before they could get back to me to finish the messaging, the server was up and running, uh, which is fantastic in there. I do want to go back to one thing regarding Signal. There, there's something about that Signal did that I was wondering if it's possible that Session would have this capability because it is a really, really useful feature, which is the fact that they're integrated your regular text messages inside of the app itself. And why this is important, for instance, friends and family who are not maybe super security conscious, they're still texting me through SMS and things. I have to open this other app to talk to them. And then I open Signal or Session to talk to other people. Um, when Signal created that particular feature, it was extraordinarily useful to have one app to do your messaging. But I know you're not tied to a phone number, um, but I know Signal's really not pulling in those text messages really either. It's just kind of displaying them. Is that something Session has on its books in the future maybe? Yeah, so like onboarding is a really interesting like uh, challenge for session because because we don't have access to the to the user's phone number, it's really hard for us to do stuff like contact discovery, which Signal does really well, um, where they'll take your existing contact list and then automatically connect you with those people that you're are in your contact list. That makes like their onboarding experience like way, way, way more powerful in terms of like their network effect, right? Because they can just import your existing like social graph into the system and then you're already like ready to go. Whereas you kind of need to rebuild it um, with session. But I think it's kind of an essential trade-off that we've made like with the fact that your session ID isn't linked to any like any social graph, any um, mobile like number, any email address, like 
I think that's kind of a trade-off that we're making. But I think it could be interesting to like perhaps mirror people's text messages so they just have one that's app where thinking. they do everything. Like yeah. even if you don't pull in their phone number, you could maybe just display like their normal text messages in the application as well. Essentially, yeah. you'd just be having the software do it locally and yeah. they're just opening one app, but Session's really doing nothing but just mirroring the messages and going across. It would be an interesting thing to explore. Mm -hmm. And when you guys implement it in the release notes, I would love my name to be there. I just want to put that out. <laughs> that, yes, that. But also, when you if you do it, you could also have a button that says, have you heard about Session? And you just send them a text message. That's what Signal does, which yeah. is really kind of, it's a great way of them expanding is like, hey, this person uses Signal, you should join. Yeah. Um, even though I'm getting the regular SMS. So it, it would be a cool thing to definitely see in the future. The only thing I wonder about there, and this is kind of going a bit more technical, is like sometimes like uh, the different, different operating systems will limit your access to like their APIs. So particularly, I'm probably talking about Apple here. Like yeah. I don't know if Apple will support would support the ability to show uh, like your regular text or like iMessage conversations in another application. I would assume that Android would be able to do it, but um, yeah, we've yeah. had a lot of there's a lot of things you can't do on Apple that you can do in other operating systems. Definitely true. <laughs> yeah. What are the trends? and stuff like that you you worry most about regarding the privacy and security like landscape and also what are you most optimistic about yeah i mean look i every every you know four or five weeks i have a complete kind of mental breakdown about uh local device attacks because you really can't do anything as a messenger like you're on a layer above you're operating um at the operating system level or you know, you're building on top of the operating system, the phone's operating system. And if there's a zero day in the phone's operating system and, you know, hackers or um, malicious governments use that to get access to the user's phone operating system, you're really in a terrible, like, situation. Like, they can install backdoors, which basically just read messages off the device locally. And all of your end-to-end -end encryption basically doesn't matter at that point if you have, like, a keylogger on your system, right? So... Yep. Every couple of weeks, I have a bit of a breakdown about that and wonder, like, if what I'm doing is actually valuable to the world, if people can just, you know, locally compromise devices. So that's the part that I'm worried about. And it seems to me like it's getting worse. Like, you know, the, the local compromises that you hear about every year, like zero days that are exploiting journalists and human rights activists yes. uh, are really bad. Um so yeah, that worries me. That's probably the thing that worries me the most, but I don't, and I don't really know a solution to it, which is the thing that worries me even more. Like, because, you know, your software developers write bugs and it's impossible to stop software developers, or it's very difficult to stop software developers writing bugs um, if you want to have applications that are developed quick um, and that add new features quickly as well. It, on the optimistic side, um, I think, the advancement of end-to-end -end encryption algorithms across the internet has been very cool. Like the fact that, you know, the conversation that we're having right now, um, or is using, well, this is using transport encryption, but end-to-end -end encryption in messages is starting to get a lot of um, interest and privacy-focused applications are starting to get a lot more interest as well. So I think that that is really cool to see and see people uptaking that, that technology as well. So yeah, those are my two things. I agree on that. One of the things I loved mm -hmm. seeing is a lot less people 
when I would create a video on privacy and things and put it on, you know, the internet, it's a lot less people commenting about, well, I don't care if people know what I'm doing because people have started to finally realize that this stuff matters. People are getting denied for insurance or even their credit and things based on what they're posting on social media and stuff and starting to have real world impacts. And then I think just the general chaos of governments and everything else going on in the world has made people start thinking, Hey, there's a reason why like your mail, which you mentioned very early in our interview is protected and people aren't allowed to go read it. It's federally protected here in the United States that no one could go read your mail because there is this expectation of basic privacy. And now mail is such a limited amount. When you look at your email, I get more personal stuff coming to my email than I get in my mailbox. So of course you would want those same rights and things there, but I am very happy to see people are starting, some people are starting to take it more seriously. The fear I have is that companies out there that drive social media networks and things will claim they have end-to-end encryption and things like that, which in reality is they have many capabilities of monitoring and looking at all those once those messages hit their servers. And so people hear end-to-end encryption, they're not technical, they go, well, that's enough, and they don't look any further um, but you know, we all start somewhere and eventually they'll end up at session, hopefully. Absolutely. And yeah. there's also like some examples of companies having end-to-end encryption and then having a super key to unlock whatever it was. So it defeats the entire point. But earlier you mentioned about the, the transport encryption that we have for this. And then I thought, oh, like, why do we not have other more? And they're like, oh, well, we're putting on a podcast. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're literally sending this out to the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the, the thing that I, just on that point that you were raising before about kind of um, like corporate interest in um, like user privacy, I'm really kind of interested in this topic because I think one of the things that will happen in the future is corporations are going to start offering incentives for people to give up their privacy, which I'm concerned about because I think that this is going to, because for example, say you're generating a bunch of data locally and a corporation wants to use that data to feed into some advertising model, they may pay you in the future to do that. And I wonder whether these people who are kind of these apathetic people that are kind of like, oh, I don't care about my privacy, like who, who I, I'm not doing anything bad, right? I think these people are going to turn into I don't care about my privacy because I get paid. Like I get paid by corporations to violate my own privacy, which I mean, it's, I'm kind of laissez faire, like let people do what they want, but it's once there's this incentive developed around it, it's going to be really hard to write applications that don't violate people's privacy because they won't be getting paid. Right. Like they'll be like, why would I use this application? Even if it's free, I don't make money by using this application, right? So it's going to become even more insidious in the future, I think. It's predatory too, because if you think about it, the people who are going to really go for those offerings are going to be people who generally are financially looking to have some money, college students, people who have money issues and things. They're going to be looking at selling their privacy and data because it's a stream, whereas people who have plenty of money aren't going to be tempted into doing that. So I mean, that's where things like open source closes the digital divide so much. Services like Session allow you, you know, no matter what your monetary situation is, to come and have that privacy. But you're 100% right. These corporations are definitely going predatory. They've already done it. To many college campuses, there are apps focused to college students that basically are just there to gather their data, but then pay them 
for doing searches with their apps and other things in there because they know college students need money, right? And mm. so it's very predatory what they're doing. And I think it's going to get worse um, as people get more privacy-minded and start looking for that type of stuff. I think corporations are going to be using end-to-end encryption as a buzzword, which we're already seeing. And I think they're going to be going after people to sell their data to them for sure uh, to get even more privacy information from them. Some people do worry, though, that services that offer complete end-to-end encryption will make things easier for bad actors. We got an email in a couple of weeks ago where someone was like, hey, I love privacy, I love encryption, but I work in a privacy sector and I see so many people doing nefarious things with this type of technology. How do you combat this type of concern that people have? I mean, I think you just have to like recognize it for what it is, which is it's true. Like uh, it does allow criminals to more easily um, perform criminal actions. But if you look at it from a utilitarian perspective, like the fact that, you know, we've onboarded like Session, for example, has onboarded like 200,000 Iranian users. Like what portion of like those users are criminals? What portion of like uh, cash users are criminals? Like, but we still use cash, right? And we don't have the same argument like, oh, you know, like people are using cash for criminal activities. I'm not going to use cash anymore because yeah. I'm supporting criminals by doing that. The reality is like when you look at how much is being used for criminal activity, you're talking about like, you know, a small percentage. So if you analyze that kind of from like a utilitarian perspective, you see that like the gain is way more than the loss that you get. So I, I think it's like... A pretty simple argument like there's a bunch of other arguments which are just like it's you know you're, you're given rights like you know or you have natural rights like to privacy yeah. right like you you don't violate rights just because other people are doing something bad with the rights right like yeah exactly <laughs> it make any yeah, sense. exactly well, one of the arguments that i use is you know a lot of the nefarious activities you actually see aren't being done in end-to-end encrypted apps in fact there's a huge amount of news that's come out about people doing nefarious activities through video game chat sessions, which aren't end-to-end encrypted, but they're just very secret. Or Whoa, they're doing Ryan, it you're out giving in the... people more ideas of how to do criminal talking. <laughs> exactly. Oh, or they're doing it through Facebook and other things out in the open, because honestly, in some ways, that's the most obscure to law enforcement because it's out there in the open. It's not sitting in one of these apps. So I always tell people it doesn't matter whether this technology here existed or didn't bad actors are going to find a way to be bad actors. That's what they do. Um, But to your point, you can't remove our natural uh, rights to have privacy and security because a few people want to abuse that privilege. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I I think a, a perfect phrase for this kind of is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Oh, I love that geeky reference there. (laughs) Sings to my Star Trek heart. Yeah. (laughs) So, Key, what are some things Session is looking to implement that we can look forward to? <laughs> so, it's interesting, like, maybe you would expect that I kind of list some, like, really technical, like, features that we're kind of doing in the future. But I think a lot of it is just kind of around usability um, of the application because it's hard to onboard lots of users when you don't have stuff like stickers or emoji reactions, <laughs> you know, like, which yeah. are very, like, uh, you know, kind of, <laughs> 
they're not they're not interesting security features, but um, to get people into the application, you kind of need to have some of these things. So we're looking at a bunch of usability stuff, like on more on the technical side. Like we're going to change the way the disappearing messages work a little bit, um, and we're also going to um, refactor how how closed groups work because they can be a bit unreliable right now um, when you're adding and removing um, people from those um, less than a hundred group, uh, less than a hundred member groups. Um, so that's probably be in the next, like before the end of the year, we're hoping some of that stuff comes out. Nice. Um, next year, I mean, it's really big and open, like we're looking for um, stuff that's going to improve the network speed of session so that sending that's doesn't take as long. Yeah. <laughs> You have some inherent limitations with unrouting because you are kind of hopping between multiple different um, servers before you get to your destination, but we can definitely cut down on that latency and increase our throughput as well. Um, and we've got some ideas on how to do that. But yeah, those are the main things we'll be working on. Oh, wonderful. And there's something simple that I love that session does is that you get a download notification when someone you sent an attachment to downloads the file. That's Brilliant. I've been wanting that for a long time. And with yeah, a, very nice. You know, messaging system. We were talking about a little bit earlier. One of the ways I first tested a new session is by creating new IDs on one of my Ubuntu rigs and then my mobile phone and tablet and use these three devices to not only chat to myself, <laughs> but I used it to send files and pics from one device to the next. Yeah, and that's right. when I noticed, oh my gosh, there's, it, it, it shows that, you know, this person has downloaded <laughs> this attachment and yeah. that, that's good really, for security. Yeah. yeah, it raises a really interesting point, which is like, there's a lot of focus kind of on network security and applications and end-to-end -end encryption and stuff like that. But there isn't so much focus on client uh, kind of security, mm -hmm. like things that you do on the client device, which provide additional um, security to users. So we're really looking at stuff like that. And, and that ends up being like one of the more important aspects for human rights defenders or journalists in other countries that they want to have, say, the ability to like instantly wipe their device, like with what the press of one button, or they want to be able to, you know, have disappearing messages at different intervals or different types of disappearing messages that disappear when sent or disappear when read. Um, you know, they want the ability to be able to delegate the wiping of their account to another um, user just in case they get captured, for example, and they need a remote uh -huh. um, ability to wipe. So we do have a focus on client-side security as well and um, mixed in with all those features that I spoke about, hopefully next year we'll get to kind of have a bit more of a focus um, on client-side security so that you know people feel more comfortable carrying session around in their pocket in case like a local kind of attacker tells them to unlock their phone. Duress, duress pins mm -hmm. are a really interesting idea as well. So you can have like one pin which normally unlocks your device and then you have another pin which you enter which automatically wipes everything that's there. Nice. So if someone asks you, oh, like if there's a authority or something saying, unlock your phone, I want to see your messages then you put in your duress pin and it wipes the entire device. Like, oh, that's dope. Oh, very I love that. Sweet. <laughs> oh, it's like on the same mechanism. That would be really cool because they're like, oh, you're just going to unlock it. Like, oh, whoops. Exactly. <laughs> or it just like, shows you a dummy account, like for example, like with a few Oh, that would be even better. Oh, like, cool. It opens up a fake thing. Uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. 
Um, it just has you key, like a message from you. <laughs> you know, like what was it, MySpace or whatever, where your one friend was Tom, always yeah. the founder? On Tom. Yeah, yeah, Tom. Yeah, you'll be the yeah. Tom. It'll be the dummy uh, message between you and that person. Are you open uh, it and there's a little cat that's waving, <laughs> hi there. And that's, that's all it's there. But you were mentioning earlier about the disappearing messages. And I'm looking forward to all your updates. But I just want to say the disappearing messages are great because you talk about the different examples of what these are for. And I just want to tell you, there's another one that's fantastic. It's you can pretend that you're James Bond because they're going to self-destruct at any given moment. That's true. Exactly. That message so, will self-destruct. That's what I like. I was, that's what I like to say. That was awesome. Like I was thinking of that same thing. <laughs> Seeing the reel-to-reel tape. This message is going to self-destruct in 10 seconds. <laughs> These are very cool features you're thinking of because this is a constant court battle right now of whether authority figures are allowed to make you unlock your phone. There's, uh, I mean, You mentioned Australia and the privacy rules there uh, aren't always so great. In the U.S., we don't have that problem. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> you're, you're uh, we have the worst privacy laws yeah. on the planet. Um, so, you know, there's situations well, the US, where we don't people- have much to hide, right? So. Yeah, don't have anything to hide. There's people crossing over the border that are being forced to have their phones copied, all kinds of stuff happening like that. So those features you all are thinking about are just so critical uh, to protecting people's privacy and things. So here's the good news. You have made it through the gauntlet of the main interview, <laughs> but it's time for the lightning round. This is the most important part of the interview. This is where we ask you nonsensical questions mostly, and you have to answer them as quickly as you can. The first thing that comes to your mind. The most and important. <laughs> yes. Have fun. <laughs> this is yes, the fun this part. is the have fun part. Uh, so I'm going to start. So the timer starts now and favorite open source project outside session. Uh, Ubuntu. Nice. Uh, Android or iOS? Android. Favorite candy bar? Uh, Mars bar. Best Australian musician that people should check out? Uh, Flume. Favorite Linux distro? Uh, Ubuntu. <laughs> That's, so <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating. You're the same. Two of us same answer. Okay, Debian. <laughs> yes. There you go. There, there we you go. go. I'll make it a little bit a little bit uh, harder on this next question. Apple pie or pineapple upside down cake? Apple pie, I think. Yeah. Nice choice. Nice. So so people know earlier we did ask Key the cupcake and muffin question. He chose cupcake. He chose so muffin. So everybody knows cupcakes are the greatest. Uh, oh. Key, let him know the truth. Let him know the truth. <laughs> He's team muffin, all right? He's team muffin. Muffins well, are just more versatile. They have more range, you know? Exactly. You For can't those be who, right about everything, but you're right about like session. That. He's also right about muffins. He's also right about muffins. Yes, I love it. How, yeah. Like we, I bet when people were going to be disappointed that we didn't ask that question. So you're like, let's just make sure that I'm everybody just knows. Throw it in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Key, you made it through the gauntlet of the interview. You made it through the lightning round. Truly, at this point, I just want to thank you. I mean this in the entire team at Session and everybody who works on this project for all the amazing work on this. It is so important what you guys are doing for privacy and security. I want everybody in our audience to go check out session, go set up a session ID. Michael and I and Jill, we're all working on doing some open group stuff in session. So hopefully people can come hang out with us there. And I really look forward to having you back on the show and we could talk about more of the impact that you're having in this area. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And um, there were some really interesting questions in there. So I hope people find the answers to those interesting. Um, and yeah, I'm on session. So you can message me. Uh, I, I have him on session. He's yeah. my Tom. 
I have one. He's my MySpace yeah. Tom. <laughs> we actually introduced this feature a while ago uh, called ONS. So you can actually, where you, where, where you type in someone's session ID, you can actually type in a name um, that yes. you can register. So my name is Keyjeff, K-E-E-J-E-F. So if you get session and you want to message nice. me, you can message me. I've had many people ask about usernames for session. And I just thought about as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, well, that, there's the answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you again. Thanks, guys. Speaking of keys, nothing keeps your password more safe than Bitwarden. Michael made me do that transition if you're cringing right now. Because <laughs> Keys, welcome. who we just interviewed in Keys and Bitwarden. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux, that's slash T-U-X. You wanna make sure you use that URL just as it is so they know we sent you there. A password manager or software allows you to have peace of mind knowing your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides you tools to store all your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and usernames as well, and it automatically can fill them in on the login pages for you. You can access your data across many types of devices, web browser, mobile apps, your desktop computer, even using the terminal. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your device. We just got done talking to Key about how important it is to have true end-to-end -end encryption. Bitwarden has true end-to-end -end encryption that gets audited from the community and third-party auditors come in to audit it as well. So go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started and you can get started absolutely free. Free as in you don't even have to enter a credit card. However, for just $10 per year, you can get a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo. I use my YubiKey with it all the time. Absolutely works marvelously. Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, Priority Customer Support, and so much more. It's less than a dollar per month to have this amazing service that provides you so much peace of mind. Head to bitwarden.com TUX and get started now. And thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So this is very, very, very exciting news. Valve announced on Friday that the Steam Deck is now available with no reservation required. Oh yeah, my gosh, awesome. OMG, OMG. Everyone can get their hands on one of these now. <laughs> I love Jill's OMG, OMG, yeah. OMG, like a robot, <laughs> like a robot. Yeah, I actually might buy another one. <laughs> So. Why would you need two, Jill? Oh, to play with your husband or when friends yeah, come over. I can see the point exactly. of having two now. And, yeah. and then I can just, I actually, I kind of want to just keep one docked to use as a computer all the time. So mm. <laughs> It's interesting you mentioned that because there was a video out there of someone who got rid of their desktop computer because of the Steam Deck that came out. So they have their yeah. laptop that they use, but for gaming and stuff, they're just exclusively using Steam Deck because you can dock it. And of course, use it as a computer. And I thought that's a really interesting use case that I hadn't thought of. Mm -hmm. I have way too many computers and I ain't getting rid of them again. Yeah. But for other people <laughs> who are a little more normal, it's kind of a good thing. And we talked about this, in fact, on the latest Hardware Addicts, which if you're not a subscriber to Hardware Addicts, what's wrong with you? But Michael, me and Wendy talk about all of the new game devices that are trying to come out there and compete with the Steam Deck yeah. because everyone has seen so successful, how successful Steam has been, Valve has been, with this device, and now we've got a bunch of copycat players coming into the market, which I'm happy about, because at the moment they start copying you, 
that means there's been some really successful sales numbers with Steam, mm-hmm. which is undeniable being the fact that it's been on reservation only for so long and out of stock and so many people want it, but just an amazing device. And by the way, Luke, it runs Arch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice true. callback there, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Nice, nice. callback. <laughs> and uh, there's also a new uh, Valve has released their docking station for the Steam Deck at eighty nine dollars, and it go. comes with all the bells and whistles. It's actually a really nice unit. I had already spent quite a bit of money on a, on a nice uh, dock, yeah. but um, yeah. So, but now you can get the official one from Valve. I actually can get the official one now. So we'll compare. The ones y'all got and the ones I get, you know, there you go. Oh, so yeah. you're going to get the fancier one and rub it in our faces. That's how uh, this not, works. No, 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 no. I mean, yes, yes yeah. that's what I did with the actual Steam Deck, too. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So uh, there's also been lots of awesome software updates, including now you can uh, customize the boot boot screen to whatever you want, <laughs> mm, <laughs> which, is, that's cool. which is really cool. And they've done a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, tweaks around the UI so that it works really nicely with the dock, of course. Yeah. Nice. And yeah. <laughs> so they have a new sense. release almost every few weeks now with major yeah. updates that are happening with the Steam Deck. The one thing we talked about in Hardware Addicts, and, and I think it's really true, is that gamers are very peculiar about the companies that they support because they've been burned a lot too. And yeah. Valve has just created that trust and that trust is warranted when you see things like a new product like this release and take off. A lot of companies just sit on that. It's the success mm-hmm. of it and let it just sit as it is and barely do updates and upgrades. But Valve is constantly providing updates yeah. and making the experience better and better and better, which means they plan to support this thing for the long run. And that means a lot when you're spending this kind of money, especially in this kind of economy, even though it's, I think, a fantastic value by any standard, it's still a lot of money. And so having Valve go in there and support it like they are continues to be a reason why people trust Valve so much. Yeah. And this is this is exactly what Gabe Newell wanted. You know, he wanted that community interaction. And now that Valve is working with the hardware and the software, it's all coming to fruition. We have, you know, our gaming machine, our Steam machines that we wanted years ago. <laughs> Yeah, we have them now, thanks to Lord Gaben. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, he's always wanted Linux first as well. So with the gaming industry and they have done it. (laughs) Absolutely. It's 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 awesome. I'm I'm a huge fan of the Steam Deck. This availability for everyone now is just awesome. Like Mm -hmm. the, the fact that we had to wait a year and a half ish. Yes. To get ours. And now everybody can get it in like a week or two. That is that's that's proof that the goal they were setting to make this a a, a really like a big player in the market. They've succeeded in that. And yeah. it, that could be only good for Valve and it only can be good for Linux, too, because of the fact that all the stuff that is being made to have Linux support for this gaming, it's it's completely changed the entire landscape of the Linux gaming market, thanks to Valve. Ooh. And not even just the Steam Deck, and just all Weavers. the stuff that Valve's been yeah. doing and everything. Yeah. And Who the Code Weaver's team with working on Proton <laughs> and stuff. Like, it's so it's so awesome. Linux gaming is so important, and I'm super happy that we have so many different companies and projects recognizing that and putting effort into it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So in this week's Software Spotlight, we have G-H-I-D-R-A. I'm not going to pronounce it. Mike will make fun of me. It's G-H-I-D-R-A. 
Hydra, Gehydra, Gidra, Gidra, Gidra. Yeah, I said I Ghidra wouldn't pronounce what, it. I did. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea either, but I, I would go with Gidra. <laughs> yeah, Gidra. So our software spotlight is Gidra. This is a reverse engineering SRE framework. This includes a suite of fully featured high-end software analysis tools that enable users to analyze compiled code. So capabilities include the disassembly, assembly, decompilation, graphing and scripting, along with hundreds of other features in this app. And the best part is it's available as a very simple flat pack for you to check out. So if you want to decompile some software and see maybe what somebody's really doing when they claim they have privacy or encryption or other things, that could be a use case here. If you're decompiling software because you wanna work on some bugs or features or other things, you could do that as well, or just understanding how maybe a particular software is interacting with a specific uh, level of the operating system or hardware. Really cool option there, obviously, you'd have to know a little bit about what you're doing to get full use out of this software. But for those who do, this is a pretty cool option to go check out. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if we could use Ghidra to re reverse engineer how to say its name. Or yeah, we could use Ghidra to reverse engineer Michael AI. I, I was figure yeah. out how I, mean, I made AI. it. There is no way you could, that, that's such a complex project, Ryan. There's no way you could reverse engineer that. It's true. Especially yeah. since it's open source. Not without a supercomputer. <laughs> <laughs> you need quantum level computing for that one. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, it's actually on my Atari portfolio, so it doesn't require that much computing. Jill, quit you, you have a you have a quantum portfolio, Jill. That's quantum that's portfolio. the thing. So <laughs> it's a little bit more complex, okay? <laughs> All right. So the tip of the week this week is going to be related to, you know, more, you can use this in more than just this one use case. So I'll give you an example after that too. But when you're connecting to one remote server uh, through SSH, there's no big deal with typing the command for SSH, like user and then at and then IP. But when you're doing this on a many, like many cases, and especially when you're a, you know, getting that $100 free credit on DigitalOcean, you can b roll up a bunch of different awesome servers and play with all kinds of different software. So it can become a lot more to keep track of everything. And that's where you can use aliases. So our tip is this week is to create aliases for your SSH logins. So you do uh, sudo nano and then you do the tilde slash dot bash underscore profiles. You'll have the actual full thing in the show notes. And then you type your list of aliases in the format of alias. Then the actual thing you want, like my server or server one equals. And then in single quotes, you put the actual commands you want for SSH and then et cetera, et cetera for the IP. Whole thing will be in the show notes. And then you want to type source and then tilde slash dash uh, bash underscore profile and that will the source command will allow you to save it like really quickly inside of your uh, your terminal so now anytime you need to connect just you know type in whatever you chose as your alias my server or server one or whatever and then there's no need to remember the uh, the ip address or the username or have the ssh set up because uh, it's gonna do all that automatically and it's just it's just a great way of having multiple different servers and not having to worry about which IP associates to which server and all that stuff. And you can apply this format of aliases to basically any command you want to. And there's tons of different options. And I have way too many aliases to keep track of. So it just makes it so much easier to do, uh, well, I guess terminal computing in a way. So, Do you have an alias for <laughs> stool 
or an alias for cupcake. I don't need an cupcake. alias for stool because I use I use an alias for muffin, and when I type in muffin, it just it has a big giant message that pops up and says Ryan is wrong, and then it shows a, a <laughs> photo of Ryan, and he's like pouting, and it's yeah. just it's just it's great. I use nice. it all the time. This actually, this SSH alias is really helpful because I have, for instance, servers that I maintain for my community. I have servers I maintain for DL. I have personal servers. So having those aliases, trying to keep track of all the IPs and everything else, mm -hmm. having those aliases makes it so much easier for me to get into the right server, just typing an alias and move on. It's just a really cool trick. So go play with it, try it out. You'll have a lot of fun with it and we'll have all the information in the show notes there. And I really hope you enjoyed the session interview. I know we had an amazing time with session. So go check out session. We are actually experimenting with setting up groups and things out there as we're looking for various platforms to eventually uh, invite our community to. So that's something you can play with as well. And that's it. That's our episode. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. We're here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern live at tuxdigital.com slash live. And the best part is everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. We can't wait to see you in the chat. And another great thing that you can do is become a patron. You go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute and become a patron and you get all sorts of awesome perks. You get access to unedited versions of the show in case you can't make it live. But if you can make it live as a patron, you can join us in the sta the virtual stadium, the 60,000 square foot virtual stadium where the patron post show takes place every week after the show. It's just a fantastic time, so be sure to go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute and sign up. You can also go to the Tux Digital store by going to tuxdigital.com slash store and pick up some great swag, like a t-shirt, a hoodie, a mugs, uh, some stickers, some coasters, like all sorts of great stuff. Not anything Ryan picks up typically, although oh, he's wearing hat. a hat that we do have in the store, so there's that. So <laughs> go to tuxdigital.com slash store. And make sure to check out all our wonderful shows here on Text Digital. We have the Pseudo Show, Michael's This Week in Linux, Ryan's The DOS Geek Channel, we have Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and our virtual Linux user group, Linux Saloon. So everyone head to textdigital.com and subscribe to all these amazing shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching and the full monte of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Right, exactly. Don't forget to leave a rating. As long as that rating is specifically five stars out of five, then do that. <laughs> yes. And, and everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as a destination. Thanks, everyone. Aw, love you. See you next week. <laughs>